2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Almost chucked a sneaky. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Finally, brothers, goodbye. Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Here ends the reading. Well, we're going to be looking at uh, perfection and affection in sanctification. We have reached the sixth and indeed the final week of studying what actually sanctification means to you and I. It's an important doctrine to understand and it will have a lifelong experience that we are gaining as we live through each day and we will all pray to make us better followers and be following the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that honours him. And this all started with, of course, our understanding the very first week of this that we know that nothing will happen. Nothing will happen with our sanctification unless we are repentant believers. It is also worth remembering what Paul urges then Timothy uh, to keep in 1 Timothy 4.16. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them. It's from that point that we then led into a disciplined faith accepting God's authority over us and grasping what an authentic faith actually would look like. And that there will be an obedience and an integrity and a true life of faith. And then here we are today, looking at Paul's exhortation of a perfection and the affection in our lives. It should be a pretty good finish to the end of this year that we can actually come to an understanding of what this means, that we will start our new year with a whole new way. But let us pray for a full understanding of what Paul tells the Corinthian church. Let's pray. Our loving God, we come to you. We come to you to ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, will indeed open this last passage to us in a way that we will comprehend it, understand what we need to do, and do so in our own time by your guiding hand. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Perseverance. A word that conjures up commitment, hard work, obedience, and persistence. We are as Christians always called to persevere. We are called to fight the good fight in Timothy 6, 6, 12. 
Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you were made good your confession in the presence of many witnesses. So what is that fight that we are to fight so well? And what, what is it or who are my foes? And fundamentally when we talk about that, we have three enemies. We have the world. We have the flesh, and we have Satan. The world is not keen on Christians in general terms. That's to say the least. In fact, the world can be outright hostile to us, can't they? Not that we were forewarned that that would be so. In John fifteen nineteen, Jesus tells us exactly that. He says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And John also tells us why we need to be different to the world today. In John 2, 1 John 2, he says, do not love the world. Or anything in the world, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world is lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the flesh, well, that possibly is the most problematic challenge that we have. It is... It is who we were before being called, before and prior to receiving the Holy Spirit. It is, in fact, our natural humanity, a humanity that actually wants to stay that way. It's almost as if this, this flesh is an, as an evil spirit constantly looking for ways to weaken our resolve to serve the Lord in a way that honors him. Thankfully, that weakness can be conquered. In 2 Corinthians we have read, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me, Paul writes. This is a time when Paul speaking of having asked God over and over to remove the thorn in his side. Now we don't know what that thorn is, but it highly likely is his humanity that he is such an awareness of. And God then gives him the assurance that he needs, that he is strong in God's way. In his wisdom and compassion for us, the Lord places, of course, the Holy Spirit in us to guide us and indeed protect us. It's an outright pouring, outpouring of his love for us. It is a gift from his heart to your heart. But unfortunately, in the middle of all that, we also have free will in how we lead our lives. And hence we make mistakes, we sin, and we fail to listen to the Spirit's guiding in certain times. Fighting our own humanity is going to be tough going. It's going to be tough all the way through, but we need to fight it. And then, of course, the third one, Satan. That is the one that drives all three categories of problematics for us. He is the master manipulator. He is the one that puts doubt and distrust in your mind, weakening your resolve 
and convincing you that you are not worthy of being saved. He's also the one insisting on instigating and driving the hatred of the world towards the Savior and, of course, with that, driving the hatred towards all that follows the Lord Jesus. He's also the one that places false teachers in leadership roles in our very churches. And this last one is quite possibly the biggest problem that the Corinthian church has been facing up to. And it is where the evil one is trying to destroy God's church from within. False prophets, false teachers are a combination of all three of our foes. Why is that? Well, the world loves them. Our flesh indeed encourages these false teachers and Satan owns them. They're all there. He will disguise himself as an angel of light in 2 Corinthians and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light and there threatens to devour believers if they're ignorant of his schemes. Again, 2 Corinthians, in order to Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. I get at this point... You now figured out why we are quoting so many different Bible passages today, but it does help us getting a clear message of what actually Paul is teaching us, and that all of the Bible speaks of the same things. We come to realize that all our battles, our need for persistence and the perseverance, are indeed spoken of right throughout the Bible, through the Old and New Testament. We just need to read it and remember we are under attack and we will be until the Lord returns one day. But we are not alone in this, in this fight. The closer you are to Jesus, the further away you will be from those three foes. The closer you are to Jesus, the further you will be from those foes. And that's what Paul speaks of when he then writes... Aim for perfection, listen to my appeal, be a one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Paul encourages, actually he does more, he exhorts us to aim for perfection, not that we're going to be perfect, for that is not going to be possible until the day of the Lord. But we are able to make a genuine and wholehearted attempt on each day that we walk with him to live a better life, a more perfect life. The New King James Version reads like this. Instead, he says, become complete. And in a sense, the original language and the word that Paul is actually using here was also used by the fishermen of the day when they speak of mending their nets, their fishing nets. So Paul's not saying that they are specifically lacking in anything, but more that they really need to put things in order, adjust the things they have. They are out of order, and they need to straighten themselves out. They need to restore the harmony and amongst themselves. See, a broken net, you're not going to be able to catch fish. And with a broken church, you're not going to attract men and women. 
Certainly not in any way we can do it. He had told them back in 1 Corinthians 14, he had said, For God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. They had been diverted from this life by the false teachers all along the way. And now Paul is exhorting them to get this sorted out. As he said in 1 Corinthians 14, they need to be a people of peace. We need to be a people of peace in our church. Right from the start of creation, God had created an orderly and a peaceful world. And that is, after all, what God's people would be striving for. We would be if we truly loved the Lord. I may add here that this condition is not that unusual, not back in those days, not at creation, and not today. The change from orderly and peaceful to being in disarray and in disharmony can happen fairly quickly, and it does happen over a period of time. In a lot of cases, the people don't even notice the problem as it is happening. It's very much in what I call the boiler frog scenario. If you don't know what that is, ask me afterwards. It works. So how do we prevent this from happening then? Especially, how do we prevent that from happening in this congregation? Well, we need to listen is what Paul says. Listen to his advice. Listen to the appeal he makes to us through the Corinthian church. When he speaks of being in one mind, it is not our minds he is speaking of either, but the mind of Christ. He started this appeal way back in 1 Corinthians 1.10. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there will be no division amongst you but that you will be perfectly united in mind and thought. This is the only, this is, there's only one book that we can pick up and read and everything we need to live for Christ and it is the Holy Bible. It tells us everything we need. The passage we read from Leviticus sets out a lot of rules for holy living in the Old Testament days. Some not so difficult, but others somewhat more difficult for the people to live by, even us. It says, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's not easy. In fact, near impossible. Or, do not turn to idols or make metal gods for yourselves. Ponder in your own heart. What's your idol? The distraction can even come from new books that we buy and read. Books that will tell you that they explain in those books what the specific writers may have thought as they wrote these things down. And since we respect some of these authors, we use his or her book to then reset our lives and we change the church services accordingly and we add little bits here and there and before long we have changed everything. Any church leadership ought to feel honoured if they are considered old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy. Holding firmly to the doctrines and the teaching provided in the Bible. 
That's what leadership is about. Paul at no stage thinks we will achieve perfection. That's not what he's saying. But he truly wants us to strive to persevere, simply improving how we live each day, day by day, and in the manner in which we serve him. Serve him in caring for his people as we carefully watch our own lives and his doctrine. Combine that with the next where he's urging us to live in peace. Then we know that this is also from Philippians 4.7, agreeing everything with what Paul is writing here. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's that peace that we need to look for, not our peace. This is a theme that runs right through a lot of Paul's letters. Also in Romans 14, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace, to mutual edification. It's all there for us. All Christians are called to live in peace. And therein lies part of the problem. Satan does not want you to live in peace, ever. So he's constantly roaming around to find where there's a weak link and then causes disunity to erupt. And it's not that difficult for him. (laughs) He's pretty cunning. And we leave it open. At first, not so bad. But when he's allowed to fester and grow, because of a lot of people will say that we shouldn't, we should be forgiving and we should just let things slide a little, uh, not be so judgmental towards each other, rather than holding each other to account for our actions. That's not what the Bible teaches us either. It is teaching us that we need to be held accountable. No half decent parent would let their children get out of control completely. They are there to train and to guide the children that God has blessed to them and that always include discipline. Parents are making judgment on their children every day and the behavior of their children and so it should be in our churches. Think of it this way. We are literally children of God and we require some help and guidance along the way, all of us. Keeping you and I accountable is ensuring that we also can find a way to live in peace. That's what it's about. It's not about restoring peace. Only Jesus can restore peace. Our lives are all about retaining the peace or do the best we can to maintain what peace we have. It's a lot easier to retain and maintain than it is to restore. At the beginning of verse 11, Paul wrote, Finally, brothers, goodbye. He's leaving them no doubt that this letter is his farewell letter to them and his final instructions in how they ought to live. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now I thought, how do we deal with that one? The sheer fact that both Paul and Peter, when they write about this form of greeting, specifically call this a holy kiss, removes all possible connotation of having even the remotest connection to any sexual reference. 
It is a holy kiss in a recognition of the fact that we are in Christ and Christ is love. And hence, in the early churches, they would greet each other with a holy kiss, indicating that they do love each other in Christ. This early custom, however, eventually starts fading out of the church, and we find that in some churches this is actually slowly coming back, even if only very rarely. In verse 13, all the saints send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What a wonderful ending to any letter. May your affection for Christ give you the courage, the enthusiasm to persevere in perfection in 2021 and beyond. And indeed, let us all heed the exhortations of Paul to the Corinthian church and just call it Woodford. Let us pray together. Our loving and gracious Father, we come to you to thank you for Paul. We thank you for what you have given him and for his faithful writing down of what you have taught him. We pray, Lord, that through your Holy Spirit you will continue to guide us by those words as we read them, as we understand them, and as we also understand who we are, that we may correct what we need and that we may indeed live a life of peace, that we may help each other live such a life that honours you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.